Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and Nina Oyama is today's guest. It's fair to say, as explained at the start of the show, Nina had had quite a big weekend before we recorded this. Uh, some of which might be reflected in at least the uh, tone of the conversation, but I still really enjoyed this chat and I think it's a, a lovely time capsule of a moment in time in Nina's life in the world. Uh, so I hope you enjoy this and I hope you get out to see her live shows. Nina Oyama is doing me right now. Great show title, I will say that. And she is touring all over the place. So check out uh, Nina Oyama. Follow her on all the socials. She is hilarious on social media and you'll be able to find links to all the amazing work that she has been doing. Speaking of shows... I still have some. So Melbourne International Comedy Festival. I am so excited as I record this that shows are back on at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. It feels like people are going out in Melbourne in a safe way. Victoria's got an incredible record for no COVID cases for I think 29 days in a row as I'm recording this. So uh, congratulations to everybody down there. And it means that people can get back out to the football and to social occasions. And of course, to my favourite thing in the entire world, which is the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. We missed it last year. It would have been my 25th year in a row performing at the festival. So we're starting again from scratch. <laughs> Can we make it uh, to 25 in a row from now on? Well, this is year one. So you can come out and see my show, Will Eagle. It is a return season of the show that I first did in 2018. I am rolling it around again. A new version of it, of course. It has been updated um, it is a 70-minute show. I did it in Adelaide for four shows and couldn't have had more fun. So please, come out and see We're Legal. That starts on April the 6th. It is at the Arts Centre in Melbourne, so a beautiful venue, nice and comfy seats too, <laughs> compared to the Comedy Theatre where I normally play, which is one of the best theatres in the entire world, but uh, not the most comfy of all seats in the world, the Arts Centre. Very comfortable seats. So uh, that's something that I always think about as a man with wonky hips myself. <laughs> the comfort of the seat you're sitting in to enjoy the show. So please come out and see Will Eagle at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. There will be other dates of Will Eagle that I am announcing around the country as we go and as we see how each state is dealing with COVID and the availability of going out and doing live comedy. So at the moment, fingers crossed, I will be in Melbourne very soon. Come and see the show. And if you can't come and see the show but you like supporting this show... Uh, then the best way to do that is go to patreon.com slash philosophy. You can join for as little as a US dollar per month. And uh, if we get up to over $5,000 uh, per month on that, we can afford to do two shows per week. Over the next few weeks, I'll probably be rolling out a couple of double episode weeks anyway because I've got a couple up my sleeve that I would like to get out there so I can promote people's shows. So go out and see Anna Piper Scott. Go out and see Michelle Brazier. Um, and a whole bunch of other acts that I already have up my sleeve, so I'll be releasing those over the next couple of weeks. All right. Uh, Tofop.com is the place to go for all the other podcasts. Uh, you can listen to Tofop. You can listen to Fofop. You can listen to Two Guys, One Cup, our AFL-adjacent podcast that is now back regularly for the AFL-M season. So uh, that's all the plugs. Hope you enjoyed today's show. Uh, it is an absolute classic with Nina Oyama. Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and this is how the show starts. I ask my guests who they are. So who are you? Hello, 
I'm Nina Oyama. I'm a comedian and a writer and a hot slut. No, I don't know why I said that. I'm so sorry. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Oh, that's so such weird. A, such a predictable answer. The same thing <laughs> same thing that Denise Scott said when she introduced herself. Are you serious? Oh, man. No, that was a little bit of comedy that I was trying to do there, Nina. Oh, was that a I, joke? I tried to think of the most unlikely person who would say that. I, I think gonna... Denise Scott would say she is a hot slut. That's a good point, But actually. like, I've made a... not really. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> hi, sorry, I'll reintroduce myself. I'm Denise Scott, known hot slut Denise Scott. Um, no, I'm Nina Oyama. Uh, that's that's me. Hello, Nina Oyama. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. You've actually got some live shows coming up, which was what caught my interest because you're a multimedia superstar these days. You know, you're, you're everywhere. Every time I turn on my TV or my radio or listen to a podcast, I'm I'm hearing you or seeing you. But live shows, I think, is what excites me the most. So you're actually going to do some, is that right? Yeah, I'm doing the Melbourne International Comedy Festival and I think Sydney and Perth. Um, I don't remember the dates, so don't... <laughs> no, just... that's fine. I'll do a proper plug. But okay, cool. I, I'm just interested in the idea of doing them. Have you been doing shows? Like during the lockdown period, did you get out and do live performance or did you just mostly concentrate on writing and performing on like TV and stuff? Well... I actually did my new show at Adelaide and Brisbane. So like luckily just before Corona hit Australia, I was like, I have a show, but I don't know if it's still relevant because a lot has changed. So I feel like I'm still working on it. Um, in terms of doing comedy, I think this week was the first week I'd really done a whole lot of gigs. Like I think I did four or five gigs this week, which is insane. Um, and yeah, generally just have been doing work on TV stuff. Yeah, so I'm interested in that because you were at a point in your career where, like, you know, I mean, you're like your stars emerging, right? And in some ways, these are the people I felt the most, you know, sympathy or empathy for during this lockdown period it was not like old, you know, people like me who've had a crack, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, having a year off is not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. People get a little sick of you. <laughs> Let's have a rest from, you know, you're doing things. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. But people who are sort of, you know, emerging in what it is they're doing it did feel like the world was put on hold a bit, but I, I noticed that you had a lot of things still come out in the lockdown period. So did it feel like for you that your work was put on hold or did it really just feel like you could just continue to do it in different forums? Yeah, I think there was like a, a good month where I did absolutely nothing. But I think after that I was like, oh no, I have to get my shit together and like start working. I do like, a I have a lot of ideas for TV shows. Is that a weird thing to say? I don't know. But I feel like I've just got like a list of things that I just like always want to attack. And I've got like a big whiteboard in my room that's like has a very structured way of like approaching all the projects that I have. And so at the after the first month of the lockdown, which I pretty much just spent like smoking weed and being sad. Um, and actually, oh, no, I'll tell you that story later. But like <laughs> I, I was really no. the reason I was really depressed was because I was working on a TV show in Melbourne when the lockdown, the first lockdown happened and I had to fly back to Sydney and I had sublet my room because I thought I was going to be at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. So I had to stay with my now ex-boyfriend's housemates while he was in the Northern Territory. And um, 
they're like these 40 year old goths that like hated me and they're like why are you here and I was like I've got nowhere else to go and like they were just really mean to me and so to the point where like I never felt like I could leave my room so I would like leave oh, no. my room at 2am every night and like go to the bathroom fill my drink bottle up with water eat some kind of food and then go back to bed and basically would dehydrate myself and starve myself all day and I was like yeah by the end of that two weeks I like went completely insane yeah because, like, you'd been treated like you're in Guantanamo Bay. Yeah. They are literal techniques they use to break people. You're not already in, It's enough that you're in an isolation. You're not in your own home. The person who puts you into this home isn't there. He's in the bloody Northern Territory having a good time because they didn't get coronavirus. They didn't get coronavirus. <laughs> like, it's so unfair. And that's when I was making all those crazy graphics because I was literally like, I couldn't think of anything else but coronavirus and I couldn't leave my room. And I also, like... I think there was an element of I just came back from Melbourne, so I did want to, like, stay in the house. Like, I didn't want to leave because it was when it was, like, a really big impending threat. And so, yeah, there was just, like... It was, I went a bit crazy, I will say that. But then, like, after well, that. Well, you certainly went all in on coronavirus. Yeah. That, I was a big believer of it. I was, I was like. You're a gonna, real believer. Yeah. Now, obviously, now you're a big subscriber to the scandemic theory. But, oh, yeah, but then, I'm full QAnon now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, you did. And you tried to do something about it. So, talk to me about what made you think I'm going to try to make some videos, I'm going to try to get some communication out there. Where did that come from? Um, I think. I think just like everybody that I know was still going out like because you go to Instagram and it was like people were still partying and I was like listening to the daily every day and every day they just do like they did this one on Italy and it was like the episode where basically they were like have this doctor that was like crying on the radio because he was just like unable to call people to tell people that their families had died and like it was just really intense and I was like shit this virus is like so bad like I oh that sounds like a real <laughs> Like, this virus is, like, totally, like, like the worst virus. virus. <laughs> like, oh, my God, what the fuck? This virus. Um, But literally, I was kind of like, oh, like, this is a very real threat. And I feel like nobody that I know personally um, was talking about it. So I kind of went a bit psycho. And then probably, you know, living with the goths that hated me um, and living in this weird Guantanamo, like, jail situation, like, propelled the psychoness. And I think part of my brain was like, I'm responsible for the country. I have to tell people what's going on. Like, I think I just went a little bit, a little bit uh, insane. But I don't know. I'm not upset that I made all those weird graphics. It taught me how to use Canva, which is something I had no idea how to do before that. So, Yeah. I, well, I think, you firstly, you've learned a skill in lockdown. That's what everybody was encouraged yeah. to do. Other people made bread. I learned how to make infographics. <laughs> yeah, really alarming infographics. <laughs> and, not a but, skill anyone no, but, needs. No one needs that skill. I'm, I'm not, I think you're underplaying it, and I understand why, because it, it is a, like, everybody in those initial moments was going through something and often you, you can only reflect on afterwards your behavior at the time. Yeah. You know, when you're in the middle of it, you're like, no, this is me handling it. Yeah. Like whatever, whatever way it is yeah. of me handling it, I am handling it. Like I moved, we were meant to stay in Melbourne until uh, yeah, the end of the comedy festival mm. and then we were moving house. But of course the comedy festival got shut down. So we packed everything up and moved and never have I in my entire life and I've moved a lot ever been so into moving like I was across every aspect of moving mm -hmm. and setting up things and like because I was just realized later that was my 
you know, infographics about coronavirus yeah. statistics. I just had to concentrate. You just have to on become obsessed else. with something so you don't like notice that the world is crumbling. I guess. So, how do you feel? Like, because you are a you know still a young person. And Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I feel so old all the time. Still, technically and demographically, a young person. <laughs> um. Uh, how do you feel about the ah, yeah? Ah. So right, okay. So twenty seven. That's your you know your sort of famous celebrity death age. Okay, what know. are you what are you implying? What are you <laughs> so, this, Wow, wow. No. Um, <laughs> Look, I mean, it's good when people reveal things on the podcast. We're just trying to really get some attention. <laughs> I'm not saying anything in particular, but <laughs> I reckon if I starved you for a month and only let you drink water at night, we could suggest something to you. No. Um, how do you look? How how do you look at the world and your life at age 27, particularly when something major like this happens? Like people of my generation, we, this is our first major thing. What's your generation thing. again, Will? What are you, the, the great war generation? What? I would be, yes, that's right. I'm, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm a generation X, I think you'll find. Uh, oh. Uh, the cool, the, yeah. The not coolest a, of all generations. This is no, surprising not a boomer. to me. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I did just come on here to roast you. That was my secret plan. <laughs> it's written on my wall, on my project wall. It's like roast Will for being yeah. old. No, I'm I'm kidding. You, often you, look, a, you a don't success- look a day over sixty-five. You often a successful Gen X can present as a boomer. We know this. <laughs> so. <laughs> mm. Okay. Yeah. So um, yeah, we haven't really had a major thing. Like, this is the real, you know, we missed, you know, all the you know, proper wars and all the, you know, the depressions and all these sort of things. There was a global financial crisis and stuff, but this is the, really the first one of our lifetimes other than the impending doom of climate change. Yep. But at 27, when you look at the world and you go through a period of time like we went through during this, does it give you hope about what's to come? Does it make you fearful about what's to come? What's your take on, you know, how we proceed from here based on what we've just been through? Um, I don't know. I think my main takeaway from this year is like, you literally cannot be surprised by anything anymore because it's like, especially, yeah, especially with COVID and like all this stuff that's happened recently. I feel like every time I think I know something like a curveball is just thrown at me. Like the most recent one for me was like the reply all podcast where they did this, uh, do you know Reply All, the podcast? It's like a no, very famous podcast on technology. Very and, famous podcast. Yes. Um, uh, just on like, technology. Much like I believe this it's podcast. a very famous podcast on technology. It's called Reply All. <laughs> yeah. And they discuss issues around in, in the technology sphere, they I imagine. Do, well, well done. It's very popular. Very yeah. grassy. Grass no, but they did this like expose um, on racism at this company called Bon Appetit. And then like halfway through like they released they were supposed to release four episodes and they'd released two and everyone was like wow like this is such a great in-depth study of structural racism reply all is amazing and then like everybody that worked at reply all that was a person of color was like reply all is like the most racist place i've ever worked (laughs) and it was just like it was so insane because i was like oh i'm like understanding this thing and like institutional racism and learning and then it was like no everything that built that is a lie and it's like it just feels like every time I discover something or I learn something new, it's just like tanked immediately by another thing. Is that, yeah. And okay, so is that a, a good thing, a bad thing? Is there like any value judgment that can be added to that? Because it does seem 
Like I, I've found that I'm just not attaching myself to stories immediately. Yeah. Like if something comes out, I'm just like, give it a couple of days. Let's yeah. just see. Let's... I want I want time for this to come out, the replies to this to come out, mm-hmm. somebody to be a whistleblower. I reckon that'll all happen in the next 48 hours. Yeah. So if I just catch up with this on Wednesday, I'll get the whole story. Truly, it's like every story now like metastasizes into like a new crazy story. I do think though it's kind of like teaching me to be resilient I'd say like I think of myself as a very resilient person because I feel like I I don't know like I just I've been through like a lot and so there's kind of like no point in like dwelling on like the bad things or the shame or the anxiety that said I'm a super anxious person but there's kind of like I think I'm just applying that to more life stuff now where I'm just like yeah, let's just not think about that. Let's just like move on to the next thing. Okay, so, so I, I like this. So uh, this podcast is about, you know, if people have a personal philosophy and resilience I think is a really interesting idea to explore. Um, so resilience isn't one of those things necessarily that you're born with. Resilience feels like a skill that unfortunately you only learn to have from trauma. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 It's a white straightish Australian man. I don't know if I've had much testing of my resilience over well, the years. Well, if you want, I can be I like might... really mean to you and you can be out had a bad sack from that. No. Yeah. I mean, I had that one terrible day where Nina accused me of being a baby boomer, but other than that, it's been all well, right. Well, you seem to have recovered really well, so I'm proud of you, Will. Thanks. Good work. Very resilient. <laughs> um, uh, where did that come from, your resilience, do you think? I... I don't actually know. I think I don't actually know where anything that I do. I think like I have like a little voice in my head that's like telling me that I'm like a worthless piece of shit all the time. I don't know if that's like relatable to people, but I just definitely like have it as part of my brain. Like if I ever do something, my brain's like, that's bad. You suck. And so I think like the resilience is like, it's like, shut up. Like, it's like, I'm just going to do this next thing. And then I'm going to do this next thing even better. And it's kind of like this, yeah, way to just tell that voice to not say those things. I hope, as I said, I have just been on a two-day bender and I hope that I'm, like, making sense and not, like, deliriously rambling right now. But... I, th- I think either way, it's great. Okay. Like, you might be doing a bit of both. Okay, like, I think cool. you're making... I think you're doing... No, it's my favourite thing, which is, like deliriously rambling and also making sense at the same time it's actually my to be honest if i could i'd do you know all of these podcasts after somebody's been at the end of a two-day bender i feel like that's actually the sweet spot to get to the good stuff in some way that's like what philosophers did like didn't they take all those drugs and be like oh the world's so crazy anyway sorry yeah and these days people take ayahuasca and just go you know what i'm gonna get myself a pete evans cookbook and move to byron bay yeah so everyone's that's my next that's what we're gonna do next podcast is i'll be i'll be living up there in my white linen anyway sorry let's continue with the philosophy stuff okay so no i like this because the breakdown of these two competing things actually feels like it does get to an area of truth with you like i don't know you you super well but we've known each other over the years and my external observation of you is that you are somebody who acknowledges those you know sort of flaws that they're those inner voices that are telling you that you can't do these things that are telling you that you're a piece of shit and some of your comedy like reflects that but also you are not put off from doing things like there are these two things happening at exactly the same time which is like this fierce inner critic but this other part of you that's like yeah well fuck it i'm still gonna you know do this show i'm still going to appear in this thing i'm going to create this sketch i'm going to write this thing i've got all these ideas for tv they are 
working together, you know, or against each other yeah. in this sort of, so it does feel very you. So talk to me a little about how one of those balances out the other one of those. How they connect. I don't actually know. I think I'm just mentally ill, I guess. Like, I'm just like, <laughs> you know how there's like, like, yeah, you know how I've, maybe I just never learn. Like, maybe it's like I'm, you know, any other person would, you know, fall down seven times and be like, maybe I shouldn't get up again because I just keep falling down. Like, and I'm just like, no, I'll just get up. I just like keep, you know, when it's just, I don't know. I think also just like, yeah, I, I don't really, God, I should interrogate this, but I do just think, I think I also like a lot of, um, my, a lot of things that I do are like very strongly tied to validation. So maybe it's more like, I know if I do this thing, then people will like laugh at me or like tell me I'm good or like give me more work. And so it's like this, you know, kind of cycle of like trying to be universally liked. I don't know. That's maybe what I'd put it down to. I'm a very needy person, Will. I'm like... Okay, so there is an element of neediness to it. Is there at the heart of it? Or is that like a self-deprecating thing to say? Or is that a legitimate thing to say? No, I think it's a legitimate thing to say because I like... I think I care a lot about what other people think, which I think you kind of have to in this industry. It's why everyone's always like fucking uploading Instagrams that are like hashtag set life, hashtag act like, you know, it's like this thing where you like have to constantly convince people that you're there. It's ridiculous. Um, no offense to the actors that do that, but it's, it's, it's insufferable. Um, sorry. Um, but like, yeah, I do think that like, and as comedians, like you go on stage so you can get like a wave of approval. Like I do think the reason I started comedy, cause I started when I was quite young and it literally was like, no one's listening to me. Like that's how it felt my family. Like I didn't get along with my parents. I like dropped out of high school. Like I was just useless. And, um, and it just felt like no one gave a shit about me. And then so I did stand up and I was like 30 people in this room, give a shit about me for five minutes. But like, that's five minutes where they give a shit about me at all, which is kind of cool. And I think maybe, maybe that's how the cycle kind of kicked off. And now I'm just like, need people to give a shit about me constantly, which is well, I'm, why I'm yeah. all over the internet like a rash. I'm like, pay attention to me. It's like that Bo Burnham song, I, Art is Dead or whatever, where he's like, I am an artist. And he's just crying at it. I don't know. I hope that makes sense. I hope that's- yeah, it makes sense. So you do live a lot of your, you know, life quite publicly, you know, like you're constantly sort of updating people with what you're doing, you know, in, in your career, you're producing a lot of work. You're putting a lot of content, content, you're a big content producer these days, (laughs) but, but a lot of it comes with an air of, you know, honesty, whether how much of it, you know, like is revelatory, like, you know, completely honestly or not, it's hard to tell sometimes, you know, you're like, is this real or is this like pretend real? I don't know exactly know what's going on. Do you make conscious choices around that or is there a, am I, is there not really a barrier there sometimes just what comes out is what comes out. Well, I do think on the internet I have like a inverted commas persona. Like persona. A, I'm like a messy bitch or whatever, which yeah. like I am. <laughs> like I haven't slept for three days. Like, yeah. I, yeah, but I probably not IRL, like probably not as much of a messy bitch as I may seem on the internet. That said, I am a very, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think I can be both, but I do think I play it up a lot more online. 
Like, I think realistically, like, I do think online it seems like I'm drinking every night and, like, getting fucked up all the time. But I'd probably, like, take MDMA maybe once every two months. Is that a good answer? That sounds like a bad answer. <laughs> it sounds um, like an answer that you're giving your drug counselor rather yeah, than this really, podcast. But. I do. I should be in therapy. Um, this is why I came on. This is why you come on podcast, though, because I ask you all these personal questions, and then you're like, maybe I don't need professional help. Maybe I'll just milk this very honest conversation for content. Um, yeah, I mean that. So okay, so the idea of living your life publicly, whether it is a representation of your life or an exaggeration of your life, right? So say that that you know story about once every two months becomes like you know more of the caricature of all the time because it's entertaining. This yeah. is where the the funny stuff happened. This is where the messy stuff happened. This is where the yeah. like the the fun and the humor and the excitement and the whatever the perspective can all come from this place but then is there some expectation that people do think that you're like that all the time um i guess so i get like invited to a lot of things that i don't show up to i think yeah. <laughs> and it's also it's so boring like i think the other truth is that like and i hate saying this because i feel like everyone works really hard um but like i guess uh, i hate saying that I, th- I think no I- this is the place to say what you like hate saying like okay. come on Ugh. may as well just spit it out I think I just hate saying this because this just, just sounds like girl boss shit and I, mm. I hate regurgitating that shit like it's so grotty but I think like I, it's been a combination of like three things like the fact that I have a career at all it's like it's like hard work strategy and luck I think I think that's like the three elements and I try and do the hard work and strategy bit as smartly and well as I can so that the luck helps that. But that's it. I have been very lucky. Like I'm not lucky. is like a huge factor in all these things. Um, but yeah, I think like no one, like if you're just like, I work really hard. No one is like, that's cool or funny. Everyone's like, why would I want to hear about yeah. someone that works hard? Like no yeah. one wants to hear about like nerd yeah or, Stop it, nerd. or it's like i think as well like might come off as bragging if i was like yeah i did this really fun writer's room and then it's kind of like everyone's like well you're just like a young person living their dream and i'm like yeah i guess i am but that's not entertaining but you know what is entertaining um if i accuse a mother and a child of doing cocaine in the bathrooms like you know it's just um so it's, it is which i did and i like regret so much. Um, sorry to those people at the Henson. Technically, you didn't accuse. Uh, you didn't know they were a mother and child, no, and you accused them of doing cocaine. That would be that's a true. bigger story. Where you, you saw a mother and a child going to a bathroom and said, "Are you guys going to do cocaine?" No, I just heard two voices, and I and I assumed things I shouldn't have. Oh, anyway, it's fine. Um, but yeah, it's just like I don't think anyone. I also am, like, a very embarrassing person, naturally. And I feel like everybody feels like they're a bit embarrassing or, like, a bit of an outsider. And I think that, like, yeah, I think, like, that's the perspective that I always write from or, like, come at things from is, like, someone that's, like, outside looking in who, like, desperately wants to fit in but just, like, by nature of them, they cannot. And so – and I feel like everybody – I hope everybody feels a little bit like that. I think everybody does feel a little bit like that. But how do you then balance that with the success that comes with that? Because regardless of you doing hashtag onset 
you know, photos of appearing on things that people can still see you on them. And, you know, when you're working on, you know, a utopia, which is like could not be a more sort of, you know, mainstream show in a way. Like it's certainly a mainstream ABC, you know, show. Like this is Working Dog, this legendary, like, you know, Australian production crew. They see you like you're doing stuff on the weekly, these big sort of shows that like – that's you don't need you to be doing hashtag onset, you know, Instagram photos for people to actually see that you're working a lot. They can see what you're writing on, you know, like they see stuff around the chases stuff that you've written. Like they're seeing work that you've produced and you're doing these shows, people are coming along to these shows. So how do you manage to like be part of the mainstream? You know, suddenly, like you said, being quite successful at what you're doing already, but trying to, you know, balance that with the comic character which is outside that mainstream success how does that work i oh i don't think i i don't think of myself as successful which i think i'm like a little bit successful it's probably wrong because like you know you're 27 years old and you're like on everything basically doing all the things you'd want to do like there's not an element of the comedy or acting you know community at the moment that like you couldn't get a job in that you couldn't like do something on like that's pretty successful at 27 right i yeah like it like it is but it's not um like my brain is like is like that's not enough like my brain is like it's fine. Well, it's probably not enough. I can't imagine if you've done all that by 27, you imagine that any of that is anywhere near enough. It would be weird that you're the sort of person who has the drive to get yourself to doing all that stuff at 27. And then it's like, ah, yeah, well, I'm better, done. better have a relax. <laughs> uh, no, I just, and I, oh, like, I just don't think I'm very good at anything. Like, this is a weird, th- uh-huh. I'm like quite, and yet you put yourself up for all these things and you have all these ideas and like you have a whiteboard full of TV ideas. So those two things can't be entirely true like with each other. What I mean, one can be a voice in your head, but there's clearly this other voice that is telling you that you can do something, that you do have things that are interesting for people to hear and like to watch and to enjoy. Yeah, it, that is true. I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's just such a hard thing because I think it's like you have to balance that like you're a piece of shit voice because to me that's the voice that like drives me so I like let it take over my brain all the time but then I also think like it's yeah I don't know I don't really know how I guess can they can both things exist in my life at once I don't know I think that like I have a problem where, even, like, obviously, like, online, like, if I put up something or I'm on something, like, I'm, like, I'm so proud of my work on this, but, like, a lot of the time my brain is, like, you're not very good at that, and somehow you've, like, managed to trick everyone into thinking that you are, but you're not, you're not very good at it, and, like, let's try and keep tricking people, I think is, like, the kind of way that I find my brain, I'm <laughs> yeah, just, like, that's... let's just keep riding this rainbow until they realize that you're a piece of shit, and... And I think that's kind of like how I, it's imposter syndrome. It's, it's fucking like textbook imposter syndrome, but it is that kind of thing where you're like, it's also just like, I don't say no to anything. Like if someone's like, will you do this? I'm like, yes. And I'll do it to the best of my ability. But I think like, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I think it's just like, I feel like I've tricked people into thinking I'm a ride at things with 
I don't know how. I don't know how. But that's all. That's all it, the industry that you've entered into is, though. Yeah. Like, I mean, literally, particularly stand-up comedy is literally trying to trick people into thinking that you're worth paying money to hear talk. Yeah. Everyone talks every day for free. Yeah. People won't shut the fuck up, and you've just decided <laughs> that like I'm going to like, trick people I'm into thinking. Be- it's worth paying to see me talk. No, I like the like referring to it as tricking people into it. I think is a is like a, a, obviously a joke way of putting it, but at the same time, it kind of is at the heart of what it all is because it is a little bit of like, well, if I've tricked them into it this far, I might as well keep tricking them into it. It's often when somebody says to me, like, you know, like you're not funny, you've never been funny, and I'm like, well, then my career is even more to be admired yeah. because the fact that I have been a fully employed professional comedian for 25 years based on the fact that I have no capacity to do that job is actually a compliment to me. Yeah. I'm like a guy, you know. It's a miracle. I'm like a, right, exactly. Right. It's much more impressive yeah. than if I actually am funny. Yeah. Like, but if was your natural calling that's it i do think you're very yeah. fu- I, don't, I don't know i think that you are very funny please don't oh thank you i appreciate that it wasn't you who wrote me that message so you didn't need to apologize <laughs> and no but i i think that what you're saying is that you have this idea of like i'm gonna throw myself into it part of the lower status thing is that you kind of have nothing to lose as well i'm gonna try to keep people you know engaged in this i want to talk to you about something that you're involved in the creation of which i believe is the funniest comedy sketch that uh, you know, Australia. Anyone in Australia has written in about twenty years, which was the contact Tracy's, uh, you know, piece from, from the Chasers War on twenty twenty, which is, I mean, has become a significant phenomenon. Like it's one of those sketches that keeps, you know, popping up. I saw that it was having another uh, life just this morning when I popped online somewhere, had discovered it again, and it was all over the place. Tell me about what your involvement in that was and. Uh, for those who don't know the, the sketch, just tell us a little bit about the history of it and, and what it was all meant to be about and then what it was like to have something like that suddenly just really capture the attention of people. Yeah. Um, so that was Beckett, Beck Shaw and I like wrote the script for The Chasers War in 2020. And um, I think Beck came up with the initial concept because it was like, basically like there were all these like little jokes, uh, especially amongst the, like the queer community being like, gay people could track down like anyone based on like who they saw at the coffee right. shop. And then Beck was like, we should make it teenage girls or like Gen Z people and write it up as like a sketch. And so we wrote it together. Um, I just mostly did the typing and like added stuff. I would say the front <laughs> of it is Beck. I added in a few lines here and there and blah, blah, blah. But I think like yeah. definitely Beck. And then after we submitted it, they actually weren't going to film it. Like we didn't make the 13 sketch cut. Um, and we were like, oh, that's kind of a bummer. And then I remember in like the last week of production, they're like, hold up, we're going to film this and like, let's see how it goes. And then when they filmed it, uh, the Freudian Nip girls, Jenna, Owen and Vic Zerps did another pass at the script where they kind of added like Daiso aesthetic and like these men and all these like incredible just like Gen Z flourishes that like me and Beck as millennials probably couldn't do ourselves. <laughs> and then they performed the shit out of it. And so I do think it was like a very collaborative effort. Um, and then when it went viral, we were like, yay. Like, cause I think, I don't know. I always, I always feel like a little bit worthless in writer's rooms. I don't know why my brain's always like, you're the dumbest person here. And when like things like when things go viral that I'm part of, like, I'm like, Oh yeah. Like, Maybe I'm okay at this stuff. But seeing Taika Waititi retweet it was, like, insane to me. And Chelsea Clinton and, like, we are really shocked at how viral it has gone. 
Yeah, it was. It, it's just a perfect sketch. Yeah, like it's the right. The writing is so fantastic. The performances are amazing. It just reads as being so legitimate and literal and just it's funny jenna's gonna come on the podcast uh, oh, nice. you know in the next in, in the next few weeks but it's funny because she i hope she doesn't mind me saying this but she hit me up and was like basically like you know i, I you know you, i know that you'd like the sketch you know would you be interested in having vic or i on the on the show and basically she was less like because it would make my mum really happy <laughs> she's like and i was like oh yeah that's right i'm like the age where like it'd be really excited your mum would think you've got a real career if yep. you're like on Will Anderson's podcast, <laughs> that's the sort of humor. Old people humor that I, your mum likes. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, but it is. It's like it was such a like. It's funny. It's one of those things where like sketch comedy writing, I think, is an incredibly hard thing to do. I think, in my opinion, it often misses more often than it hits. And I think that we forget that even when we go into sketch comedy shows. Mm. That you know, you're going to watch like an entire sketch comedy show, or not all the sketches are going to be yeah. absolutely hilarious. But that chaser format, the way that they put that together, I think is really. I mean, it really allowed for something as incredible as that to happen yeah and it's also like we weren't getting notes from a network and i know this is like everyone always says this like there's like four old white men at the top of every sketch show that like give notes and make it less funny um but we were very much not getting that those notes and so that's why i think it was allowed to be as funny as it was because it was like there wasn't some like old dude being like why isn't it like I don't know. You know, whenever like I can't, Australian... I can't understand. I can't understand what these young people are saying. Can some of them say cowabunga yeah. or radical dude? Just so that yeah. Can, can they write tubular? It's like fuck off, yeah. dude. Um, <laughs> I hate that. But I do think that they're like a lot of Australian sketch shows at the top. There's like someone, like this is a phrase two people have told me now that they've heard in the writers' room, where they've pitched an idea and an executive has said, like we're not looking f- like. The executive has essentially said, we're not looking for tandoori chicken, we're looking for roast chicken. Or, we're not looking for fried chicken, we're looking for roast chicken. And it's like this weird way of, like, Australian executives basically being like, we are aimed for white people, could you please... For, like, white old men who like roast chicken, and we don't want to hear any other perspectives. Like, it's a weird... It's like a it's right. like a weird thing. And I also love the idea that like the two most exotic things these guys can think of are fried chicken and to tandoori chicken. Yeah, it's like, like do you mean like we don't want any like weird like tandoori chicken? Yeah. Tandoori chicken's <laughs> fucking delicious. But it's like it's like I do think that like there's a class of executive that are like if it's not specifically made for me, it's not funny. Yeah. And so that all their notes are given based on that concept. And so I think that that's why the chaser was so good, because like Charles is great and Charles isn't giving any of those notes that are like like I think Charles put in the bisexual line, actually. Oh, like in the there you go. yeah, everybody, everybody kind of helped elevate it to the funniness that it became. Okay, so what's it like? You know, the the process of working in writers' rooms because obviously you did that also on Tonightly, like you know, with a whole bunch of you know incredibly talented, you know, uh, you know, younger emerging sort of writers and producers and performers and all these sort of things. Like uh, what I've I've actually never really worked in a proper writers' room in my really? career. Like I mean, oh, you're so well, lucky. I mean, you're so lucky. No. Well, well, what is it like? Because I've always actually felt like I missed out on something because it feels like it would offer be quite a fun place to work but is it or is it not is it just a very hard place to work um it really depends like
like I think recently I've done a lot of narrative comedy writers rooms which is different from doing satire writers rooms which Tonightly was and The Chaser was because that's all very like predicated on what just happened and like what's the best angle and what's the smartest way to do it and then when you go into like narrative comedy it's like what is this character one and what is good for the story and what is going to satisfy the audience that makes sense for the way that these characters work with each other like I think it's two different brains um that said, I think political satire rooms are very stressful because you have to be so smart and you also, like, yeah, I, I find them quite stressful, but I, I like them because when they're over, I'm less stressed and I think the content is, like, more, what's the word, zeitgeisty? Like, I think it's more interesting almost because it's a snapshot of where everything's at at that moment. Um But, yeah, it's just a lot of, like, people yelling over each other and, like, pitching ideas and, like getting ideas on more ideas. I will say though, like I tonightly was like the best experience of my life and I wouldn't change it for anything. Like it taught me how to write jokes like so fast and so well, but it was so stressful. Like there were days where like I would like do my work and then I would go into the toilet and I would just cry. And then I'd bring my little makeup bag into the toilet and then I would put my makeup back on and then I would go out and sit there in the read and smile. And I think like, there is something about that that just like, yeah, I don't know, like that would happen more than I'd care to admit. And it was that kind of very stressful, stressful period of time that kind of, I broke my brain a bit, I think. So how much self-care are you putting around you? Because I'm hearing like a, a lot of like throwing yourself very much into, you know, things, sometimes even things that you're not necessarily, you know, prepared for or ready for yet. But you've always been somebody who I've looked at as being like, I mean, you have ambitions. Like you said, you've got a whiteboard full of, um, you know, TV ideas already. You know, you've made, you know, short films. You've, you know, you, I think you look at the idea of going, you know, I could look at something and when you say I've got a list of TV shows, I imagine they're things that you'd imagine that you would, you know, write, create, like, you know, direct, like, you know, like you know, be the showrunner of. Like these seem to be the ambitions that you have. So what are you putting in place around that in like a self-care way so that, you can achieve those dreams without, you know, like being one of those people they tell stories about that you were like, you know, on well, set, that, like, that you were still writing the script as the, you know, and holding up cards <laughs> as the actors were filming it and stuff. Yeah. I am. Um, I don't know. I think I'm like a mix of like someone that's super type A and likes to be prepared, but I'm also like extremely chaotic and I do kind of, I do burn out and then I do have to like call everyone and be like, I need a few days off like that. I think I do kind of burn myself into oblivion. Like this last week I was like working nine to five every day on a show and then like doing gigs every single night and then just went super hard at a party. Cause I was just like, I don't know. So I don't, I don't know. I think I don't balance that very, I just smoke weed. I think that's probably like the real answer is that, if I'm feeling stressed, I just like smoke weed and go to sleep. And I think that that's probably the thing that like keeps me, I just feel like that's relatable to you. Um, this is a, it's a pro weed podcast. Yeah, this, this is, is this one. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't, yeah, I think I, I actually, no, I'll talk about this. This has really helped me this year. Um, I started doing the artist way. Oh yeah. Is, so writing pages, are you doing that? Yeah, I do morning pages every day. And it's just like a great way to like, 
I don't know, it like, I usually write about like all my horrible anxieties and then when I still have heaps of pages left, which I always do, I'm always like, oh, when is this going to end? Um, then I set my intentions for the day, which to me is like so, I don't know, it's never something I see myself doing, but it's just really helped myself be like, okay, this is your plan and you're going to do this at this time and almost writing myself a little schedule. And I think that kind of helps uh, moderate the chaos and like keep it structured and in place. What, what, uh, what are your priorities, I guess? Like at the moment, if you look at your life, what is it that is most important to you? It can be anything. It doesn't have to be work, by the way. It could be literally any aspect of your life. But what is, what is it that you want to throw your energy into most at the moment? I think um, I really like stand-up and I really enjoy it. And it's like, in a way, it's like my first love like it's how I got into this whole mess was like through doing stand-up comedy um like as a young person but I don't know I kind of like my dream is to have a tv show um which I feel like that makes sense now that I've told you about all like pitches and stuff but I think that like that is I think that's every comedian's goal is like to be so good at stand-up they don't have to do stand-up like (laughs) (laughs) you know like I do think every but I do think every comedian's dream is kind to become like a Josh Thomas or a a Josh Thomas is like probably my main reference I don't know is to you know I'd like I'd I'd personally like to be so good at stand-up that I could only do stand-up I've never I've always had to do I've always had to do other things because I wasn't quite good enough at stand-up just to do Uh, (laughs) stand-up I do do feel like you can't just do stand-up though in Australia like you have to do also radio and you also have to do acting and you also have to do tv writing like I feel like it all kind of bleeds into like all roads lead to Rome but I feel like in this country specifically like I feel like maybe in the UK or the US you can get away with doing only stand-up but I feel like definitely in Australia it's too small a country to just be like relying on stand-up because it doesn't pay that well as well like TV is much more lucrative so when you talk about television then what sort of project is it that you imagine that you would love to have like ideal magic wand you know if I you know become one of those old white guys who's in charge of everything and you know like yeah. I mean I'm not saying that you need to tell me the if concept because like that would be a very te- show business and you could be yeah, like exactly. here's the TV show um, when Tom Tom Gleason ran my campaign for the mayor of show business and I, and you <laughs> I won the mayor yeah. of show business he's a very um, good campaign advisor a very effective oh, campaigner very effective so, yeah, maybe the um, Labor so, Party should get on the Greens should right, hire him. Yeah, whoever gets Tom Gleeson for the next election, yeah. just lock them in. He'll get you across the line. But what I would like to say is, you, know, you don't tell me the idea, obviously, because you want to keep these ideas to yourself. But what sort of project are we talking about? I want to make a comedy that is meaningful. I think that's like probably the go, like a half hour. Everyone is always like, I want to make a flea bag, right? I may destroy you. Um, I think the closest thing to what I want to make would be Pen 15. Like, you know, that, have you seen Pen 15? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a show that, like, it, like, pulls at your heartstrings, but at the same time is, like, so funny and so cringy and then, like, so relatable that I just think, like, that's the ideal. That's the standard and that's the most similar thing that exists to what I want to make. Okay, I could definitely see you make something like that. I, I enjoy that, like, previously the things that you've already made, like, you know, particularly yourself, have all 
been in areas that people wouldn't necessarily go, this is a comedy area. Can you talk to me about some of the things you've previously done and why you were attracted to, you know, that style of, like, comedy? Like I'm trying to, the Angus Project? Do you yeah, know? I mean, that would be a good example uh, as a start. I didn't want to, like, dive in and spoil the punchline. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, I, was, I was hoping that you could tell me about your life rather than me tell you and then you just go, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, I, yeah, the Angus Project is, like, the first thing that I wrote and directed, um, and basically it was, like, because I was living in Bathurst for uni, um, and I, my friend Angus, who has cerebral palsy, like, wanted me to be his care, and so I ended up just, like, hanging out with him all the time, and, like, we would just, I don't know, like, smoke bongs and, like, shoplift, and... He had all these other carers that were, like, equally debauched, and so we would all just, like, get really messed up. I don't know. Anyway, but the other thing that we would do is we, when we were really hungover, we'd watch a lot of TV, and we were kind of... Yeah, we were just watching TV, and at some point we were like, it is weird that no one that looks like Angus is on TV, because, like, Angus is very funny, and he's very good, and he's just a genius. And so we were like, maybe we should make a show. And um, I remember, like, at first it was, like, high maintenance. Like, it was, like... I don't know if you've seen the high maintenance web series where it's kind mm -hmm. of like, it's these little vignettes of people in New York and their lives. And they're all kind of united by a drug dealer that comes off in the episode or halfway through the episode and drops off drugs. Or sometimes he stays through the whole episode, but that the drug dealer um, is the kind of uniting force. And so our original idea is like, it was like an exploration of all the different carers. So there was like, and they were all based on real people as well, because I have no imagination. Um, <laughs> but there was, like, different kind of personalities in Bathurst um, that all cared for Angus. And so that was kind of the show. And then we shot two episodes um, using, like, school uni equipment. And then when Fresh Blood, the ABC kind of opportunity came out, um, my friend is like an editor for ads or something. And so he was just like, I'll cut it into something resembling a trailer, um, which now that I look at it, it looks so shit. Like I look at TikToks and I'm like, these TikToks are better than this ad that I made for the Ames Project. <laughs> but I think something in the ABC, like it spoke to them for some reason. And so then we got like X amount of money to, we got 15 grand to make three five minute episodes. Um, which was incredible because, like, I had never had access to, like, a full film crew. Like, I'd always just kind of used whichever uni kids were, like, around. Like, I would just call up someone and be like, hey, Tom, are you doing it? Can you hold this boom? Like, it would just be very um, shonky, I guess. And so, yeah, that was the first idea. But it literally just was, like, me and Angus being like, oh, our relationship has not been seen on screen. And it's funny. Like, our lives were very funny. And so... Yeah, so we were kind of like, why the fuck not, I guess. Just I love that. Like, why the fuck not's a good answer. Yeah. Like, but it just is, we live in a world now and you're at the, the forefront of it where things are, you know, hopefully changing from, you know, like roast chicken all the time yeah. to, you know, a, a wide variety of other chickens. Maybe <laughs> one day we'll even serve something that isn't chicken. Yeah, maybe like, there'll be like vegan <laughs> options. Yeah. 
Who knows? <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> but at the moment, we're just going for more varied uh, preparations yeah. of chicken. Yeah. That'll, do, that'll do right now. Um, so far, of all the things that you've done, when you talk about the negative voice in your mind, um, you know, that's telling you that everything is done is shit, what is the thing that you're most proud of? that you've achieved or done or made so far. It doesn't necessarily have to be the most successful thing. It might just be, you know, a perfect joke or a perfect routine or something that you people hadn't seen before that you feel like you showed to people. Is there something that you can actually look back on at age 27 and go, I'm pretty proud of that? Um, I think the thing that I'm most proud of is probably my 2019 comedy festival show, um, which is... Is that a weird thing to be proud of? I don't know. I just no. feel like... I mean, first, well, tell me why. Why were you proud of it? Like, was it the subject matter? Was it how it went? Or was it a combination of these things? Like, what, what was it about it that made you so proud? Um, I just, like, I just didn't know that I had it in me to write a festival show, like, or to do that kind of show, or to make it good. Like, and I think that it became good. I don't know. It's like a very weird thing. Cause I always am like, Oh, this is going to be so bad. Or like, I can't believe people are coming to this, but yeah, I just feel like, um, yeah, like doing an hour is really hard and writing a cohesive hour. That's got like those stories with the jokes, with like a structure. Um, I think it was like the first time I did that. And it's, the, and I also, I feel like I did it well and I feel like people liked it and I also liked doing it. So yeah, I think like that's the that's one thing that I'm like I'm pretty proud of this, and I like the jokes in it. Whereas like now every joke that I write, I'm like this joke sucks. Like, you know when you're like going through the new material phase and you're just like this is a disaster. What am I even trying to say? Um, but I feel like the jokes in that because they were like born from I don't know me being like fucking miserable and like wondering things that like they actually were quite good. Also like five years of stand up material, I guess. Whereas now I'm like I have to write new stuff. Well, so you talk about that, though, good ideas coming from uncomfortable situations. You talk about, you know, some of your best stuff comes from, like, the messiest parts of your life yeah. turning into the things that work best on stage. Like, you are, you know, to, you're, at the moment you reference the idea that you've been through a relationship breakup. Do you think that will influence what the new show is? Because the timing of, like, is, it, <laughs> like, is that a thing that you've processed in a way that you're going to talk about? Will you ignore talking about it? Like, like how does because often when something so big happens that is so close to you having to do a show the problem is that your brain is full of this big thing regardless of whether you're going to you know use any of it you know comedically or artistically or not it's still there in your brain and it pushes out some of those other things that you could be filling your brain with so uh, how are you dealing with that i mean i'm not looking for details of your life i'm just saying how are you dealing with going through a major life change and how that you know affects and processes the way that you're putting together your stand-up comedy show yeah i i actually have written material about not about the breakup but about like going through it and it is yeah I think part of me as well is like because I'm working quite a lot like there's a part of my brain that's like not letting myself fully feel human emotions like it's just like let's just put it off and then I'll be like crying on the plane for no reason and I think that that's kind of like how I'm choosing to process it is just like repressing it until it like bursts out of me at these extremely inopportune moments 
Um, I remember that saying seems healthy. <laughs> I don't think so. I feel like normal people like just grieve, but I'm like, I don't have time to grieve. I got to do all my work. I got to get this done. And then like the moment that I'm like alone, I'm just like, like it's, it's fucked. Um, yeah, it's a lot of emotions that I'm, I've booked into therapy though. So hopefully that happens. Um, okay. So, okay. So have you spoken to people before professionally? Like, has that been like a, a practice that you've used previously in your life? Um, yes, but not since I was like 20, I think like, because when I was, uh, when I was like a teenager, I was like so depressed. Like I was like, just at another level of like having a horrible time. Like, I don't know. Oh no. I was like, I, like, I attempted suicide when I was 18 and like, it was like this huge thing because I didn't leave a note. And so everyone, it's like called intent to die where everyone's like, Oh fuck. Like that is a fuck serious thing. And then, so after that, I kind of had to like go into therapy and like every day I had people checking on me and all this stuff. And so that's kind of how I remember therapy. Whereas like, yeah. Ne- oh, sorry. This is the most inappropriate time for this, <laughs> but my dog is literally barking at the it's office door. It's so fun. There's a play. So inappropriate. Yeah, I don't know. That was when I had, like, the most therapy because I was, like, having just people were, like, stay alive. Um, and then when I was 20, like, that therapy stopped because apparently when you turn a certain age, like, you run out of, like, the child rebate or whatever when you get free therapy. Uh, yeah, right. I don't know. Um, so I haven't had therapy since then but um i think i should have it now if only so i can tell other people to go to therapy like you can't right. tell people which is the number one thing that you do oh, if you yeah. Go to therapy. Yeah. yeah you're like i'm in therapy now you have to yeah. go to therapy it's the opposite of fight club yeah you must talk about the fact that you've been to therapy <laughs> yeah plus it's like trendy now and i want to i want to be on that train no i'm kidding i do think that i need to talk about my feelings though because i tend to repress and repress and repress and then at like bad times, it just, you know, it comes out. So I think that like, obviously I do have things that I need to work through, but I also think it's just getting older as well. Like you should be checking in and like re-examining your life constantly so that you can live it in the best way and most health, most healthiest way possible, which I don't okay, think I'm so doing right now. What would you like to, um, cause we're going to f- finish up soon. Cause I've got okay. some final t- questions. I'm going to, I, you know, I know you haven't slept. You're at the end of a long weekend. We'll have another catch up another time, you know, and we'll, uh, talk about some other things. I've been a bit like, you know, sometimes there's some areas where I'm like, I'm going to ask another question about that today. I'm a bit like, no, that's enough questions about that topic. I think we can just, <laughs> you can not- ask me anything. Like I'll say, I just think like. I, yeah, I feel bad because I'm not at the most like lucid of brains right now, I think. It's fine. I like it. It's good. It's, it has its own vibe and I think that's a good thing. Ooh, I feel um, like everyone's going to listen to this and be like, did you hear Nina's podcast? She was a fucking mess. Anyway, it'll be fine. Yeah. Well, that, that, that I, plays into your good I guess yeah, that's negative self-talk. That you, that's who you are, God, right at the heart of it. Um, no, it's a snapshot of you at this particular point in your life. And part of this show is about the idea that if we had this conversation tomorrow, it would be different. And if we had it in a week, it'll be different. And if we catch up and do another one of them in a year or two years, you're going to be in a different place as well. And that's kind of part of the magic of it. Like all it just needs to be is an authentic experience of where you're at right now. So, you know, where are you at right now? Like, where do you feel like realistically 
you know, are you, are you happy? Like, I mean, I know you've been going through a lot, but are you like, are you happy mostly? Do you feel, you know, fulfilled by, you know, the opportunities and things that you're doing? Like, you know, are you, are you feeling kind of, you know, do you have at least apart from the, you know, the, the, the big bads in, in your world, is there a general sense of like optimism and positivity? Um, yes. No is a fine answer if you don't. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, surprisingly, yes. And like, not to like bring it back to the artist way, but like, I don't know. I feel like I never noticed or was like, I've necessarily haven't been, I, I haven't been like grateful for things in my life. And I feel like now that I like write every morning and reflect on that stuff, like I am aware that I have had a certain amount of success and I'm very grateful for these opportunities. And yeah, I, I do feel I think I'm the happiest that I've probably ever been. That said, I'm not that high. Like, I'm still really fucking depressed. <laughs> like, I'm the, the least depressed I've ever been. Um, yeah, so that, I think that's where I'm at. I still don't know what I'm doing, though. I'm still, like, very chaotic. But I feel, yeah, I, I feel more, I don't know. I feel more at peace with myself than I have before. And I think that's... Okay, good. I like that. So that then prepares us for the next question, which is what do you think happens when we die? What the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) It's a a regular question. Sorry. Oh, I I really should have listened to this podcast. I felt like we we needed to get you to a good place before I... (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. I didn't... uh, Okay. I actually (laughs) have listened to this podcast before. I just... It was possibly a, a couple of... Years ago, because um, there's like so many episodes that are like they are quite good and they get into so. Anyway, um, but I forgot that you did ask this question. Um, I yeah, I, when you die, I feel like you die. Like that's the problem. I think like that's a big problem for me because like I don't want to die. I want to stick around forever. Um, but I think like yeah, I think when you die, it's like. See ya, see ya, wouldn't want to be ya. No, um, it's just, it's all over. Like, I don't, yeah, I don't think that there's anything beyond that. And I think also, like, this is a weird, this may, no, I'll say it. Um, when I was, like, little in, like, primary school, um, I was, like, obsessed with getting my name on the wooden, like, achievements board. Like, you know how in primary school or, like, in schools they have those big wooden boards with, like, gold letters of names that people who have done well? And um, in primary school I really wanted to get ducks so I could have my name on this board and then my name could exist there forever at the school. And I feel like, in a way, like, that's kind of why I do anything now is that, like, hopefully, because when I die and there's, like, nothing left of me, that, like, the things that I create will be remembered and referenced and people will think about them still, even though I'm... Okay, so is is it important then that people remember, you know, you or that you were here? Like, that that is important. That's important to me. And what would you like people to remember about you? Because we have no control over, you know, how what we've done now is going to be interpreted in the future. So how would you like people to remember you? Um... I would like people to remember me as a hot slut. No, I am. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Why do I keep saying that? I, I don't know. I think I just want to be remembered as like someone that was funny 
and good and nice to people and worked hard. And I think that like, that's all you can kind of ask for. And created a universally acclaimed hit TV show that won tons of Emmys. No, I don't know. That would be nice. But like, I, yeah, I would just like to be remembered as someone that was good and contributed interesting things to the culture uh, when I was alive. That would be, I'm going to cry. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not going to cry. Um, but yeah, that would be nice. Uh, when are you at your best? It might be a hard question for you to answer because you're like very critical of yourself, but when are you at your best? When you like, you know, what, what does that look like? Uh, I'm at my best when I'm on the third day of a three day fucking bender. No, I, oh, I don't actually know when I'm at my best. I think I'm at my best just after I feel like I've achieved something. Um, which is weird. Cause you think you'd, be at your best when you are achieving something. But I always feel good, like, after I hand in something that's been, like, a horrible deadline or something. Actually. I get that. I get that, by the way. One of my favorite things, like, when people say, do you like writing? Is it, like, I don't know who first said it, but I said, no, I don't like writing. I like having written. Yeah. Like, you know, having completed writing yeah. is what I enjoy about the process, not the actual process. Yeah. But I also do think... I sometimes I think I'm at my best in a writer's room. I, that might be especially like a narrative comedy writer's room where it's just like you get to pitch jokes that are surrounding characters. And I think that like that's something that I feel like I'm good at, that I will actually say that I think I'm good at. Whereas like even stand-up comedy, though I've had like X amount of success and I'm proud of my show, I'm always like, I don't think I'm that good at it. And even like script writing when it comes down to that stuff, even though I can do it and I've done a fuck ton of it, like part of my brain's just like, this is ridiculous. It's ridiculous you get to do this. But I feel like whenever I'm in a writer's room, I always feel very like this is a spot that I've earned and that I can contribute to it meaningly, meaningfully. So I always feel good then. That's not the, that's look, not the answer. Is that the answer that you want? That, oh. can, that, can, that can be an answer. I'm so desperate to be like to please people. I'm like, is that, is that good enough? Is that a good enough answer? And then later my brain's going to be like, that was a terrible answer. Um, but anyway. I'm already, I'm already happy. Okay. That's fine. Okay. You don't need, to, don't need to please me anymore in this regard. It okay. is fine. We've got everything that we need. I've got a few more questions and then you can go and get about whatever else you need to do. Sleeping, I think, um, is the main thing that's going to happen. What uh, makes you angriest about the world when you look at the – the, the world in general what is it that arouses your like sort of passions like in a not in a positive way in a sort of yeah. like what frustrates you most uh, about the world capitalism mm -hmm. i get so mad at capitalism even though it's like a system that i am navigating and have learned to navigate okay because it's the world but it's like I don't know, all those things that are, like, institutionalized, like racism and sexism and all that stuff, I think that all bleeds into, like, capitalism and colonialism at the heart of it. And um, that stuff makes me really mad. And now, like, you... I feel like America is, like, just evidence of why capitalism doesn't work. Like, the way that coronavirus was handled over there is fucking shocking. And the way that, like, Texas ran out of power and because all the electricity had been privatized, everyone started freezing to death because it was all about like money and the pursuit of more money. And that shit, that shit really annoys me. And the way that like, even Australia as a country, we're always like papering over colonialism as if like, uh, you know, the white people that came here didn't fucking genocide people. Like that stuff makes me really angry. And it, it does keep me up at night. But then at the same time, you're just like, well, how can I change? <laughs> like, I don't know. That's kind of bleak. It's like, I don't know. 
I don't know how to take no, it. No, but I, like, I mean, I think that looking at how bad an example America has become, like, I think is a good place to start. They, they are the, you know, the number one cynicism of capitalism. Yeah. Like, capitalism is their, you know, the fact that, they are, you know, people pay millions of dollars to play ads in their Super Bowl, like, you know, and launch their advertisements. Their entire biggest event of the television event of the year is based around advertising. The link between, like, commercialism and America and what America thinks of itself, like, you know, that individual freedom, yeah. that idea that people look after themselves, all these things has been completely revealed for the, you know, emperor with no clothes that it's always been. And the yeah. fact that we in Australia look at America as like a positive role model in that arena is like, sorry, guys, we've seen what this leads to. We've been saying for years what this could potentially lead to. Yeah. Now you've literally got a practical example of what it leads to. Yeah, it's like a litmus test and it's you f- they failed. I don't know if you can yeah. fail litmus test, but it's just like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, there's something as well. I didn't a- study for my litmus test. I, did. I failed. I failed my litmus test. D minus on my litmus <laughs> test. Look, I didn't do science. I don't even know what litmus is. I assume it's some kind of chemical. Um, but yeah, like, I just, I don't know. I think America is just like, and the way that they view the world. Like in, I also think that like there's this thing about America where they're like, every American thinks they're going to be rich, which is why like they don't, they don't think rich people should get tax cuts mm-hmm. because in their brain they're like, but one day I'll be a millionaire. Even if they have no chance of being a millionaire, like part of their brain has like that rugged individualism so ingrained in them that they just like don't, yeah, I don't know. It's such an odd country. But it, and also like, I think also with like colonialism and white supremacy and stuff like that, that like climate change is also a part of that because that is like, yeah, that bleeds into capitalism in the way that people are destroying the environment for the benefit of money, to get more money. Like, it's, it's all... Capitalism is the root of all evil. That's that's my message. Uh, two more questions and we're done. Right. Let's give everything a plug. Speaking of capitalism, you've got some shows to sell. So I do. Uh... I do. I'm not rich by any means. I think that's what, part of the reason I am amazed whenever I get work is because I live in a room that is like 95% bed. Like, my room is so small. Um, and so... Yeah, I feel like, I don't know. But one day when you've like running your, you know, really successful multi Emmy award winning TV show, you're going to live in a, like, you'll be like, yeah, my bed is 95% of my room and my room is fucking massive. Yeah. This is how my room, well my I'm room doing. will be a 50% yeah. bed and 50% room. It'll, <laughs> yeah. it'll double in size. Um, but yeah, I think uh, when, oh, I would like to plug my show at the Melbourne mm. International Comedy Festival. Um, actually it runs from the 23rd of March till the 6th or the 9th of April at Comedy Republic. And then I also have a show on, um, in May at Perth and Sydney Comedy Festival as well. And it's called Nina Oyama is doing me right now. And if you say it, then it sounds like we're having sex, which at the time when I was in a devoted relationship was not as red hot as it is now that I am single, but I don't know, I guess it works the same. I mean, it's a great show title. It would be, it would have been a pity if you hadn't rolled that one around again, because it is actually one of the most excellent comedy festival titles there has been for a show for a very long time. So, thank you. Uh, okay, it's, and it's, but you know, maybe it's maybe no it, illegal, it, but it'll it's, it'll do. It, it, it's got a new meaning to it as well, which I like. Which because you are really you know doing you right now. It's like it is. It's look, it works on levels. Yeah, you know these type these t- times are made for you, Nina Oyama. <laughs> Uh, you'll sleep when you're dead. So <laughs> I'll sleep when this interview is over. When my okay. when the MDMA two, wears out. 
two two more questions. Yes. Uh, one is this: if I had a magic wand and I could give you any skill in the entire world, you don't have to learn how to do it. You can just have this skill. What skill would you like to have? Oh, I'd play piano. Fuck, I love people that can play piano, man. I don't know why. I'm just like obsessed with musicians. It's not healthy. I just think they're very good. Yeah, that's what I okay. would Okay, yeah, the ability to play piano really well. Would you play p- piano professionally if you had that ability or would you just like save it to surprise people at parties? No, nah, i just save it. i just use it as a cool party trick. Maybe I'd write some yeah. songs. I Someone told me like all comedians want to be musicians. Like it's like, but we just uh, don't have the skill. Have talent. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's why we talk shit. Um, but yeah, I think I'd just like it to... I think it would be really fun to, like, fuck around on the piano because right now the only instrument I can play is the ukulele and I'm not very good at it. And I'm just like, this is... It's fun to fuck around on, but I'm like, imagine if I could play something that was, like, worth playing. I think that would be fun. I think about that a lot. It's on my um to-do list because the artist way makes you, like, think about things that you would rather be doing than what you're doing now, and that is... I would like to play piano. And final question, I have a time machine. I do not have a time machine for legal reasons, but um, I have a time machine. I can go forward or backward in time. You can go to any point in history, any point in the future. You can do basically whatever the fuck you want. You can talk to yourself. You can give yourself advice. You can observe something that happened in your life. You can try to change something that happened in your life. You can ignore yourself. You can just not get yourself involved in your life at all. You can just go and visit somewhere you always wanted to see. Uh, What would you like to do? This is uh this is a hard one. Oh, this is so selfish. I'm sorry. Like part of me wants to be like, yeah, go back in time and kill Hitler or whatever. No, no, no. no. We're sending um, back the appropriate person to kill Hitler. Okay, I, great. I, I mean this with all the love in the world. You know that I love you and I mean this with all the love in the world. All right. If we're sending someone back to kill Hitler, it it's is not, not you. Me. You don't <laughs> it think is absolutely I could 100% not you. I could totally kill Hitler. I reckon I'd do it in no, such a... No way. Very... You would not make my first hundred people on my list. <laughs> yeah. I could, I'd dye my hair blonde. i put in little blue contact lenses. Um, I'd be very charming. I don't, I don't know so how I'd do it. You'd, you'd, go to, you'd go to Berlin, you'd end up on a three-day vendor and you'd forget you were meant to kill Hitler. <laughs> well, I, I'd definitely go. I would have to visit the wall. That would be... No, the wall came after. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, Learn your history, sorry. Nina. You're going to be like, this, this place will look good with the wall. Yeah, I'd be like, there's going to be a wall here. And everyone would be like, I don't then, know what you're talking yeah. about. You've then I'll tear it down. You've David Hasselhoff will be involved. <laughs> <laughs> People are like, what are you talking yeah. about? Yeah, it was like, who's David Hasselhoff? Like, he's, he's on this Why are you here show? anyway? Yeah, they'll be so confused. No, okay, this... This is like the, it's such a dumb answer, but I, my yeah. favorite band in the world is Pulp. I love Jarvis Cocker. I just think they're so good. And yeah. if I could go back in time, I would go back in time and watch them play a concert um, after their first big album. What's that? His and hers. Mm. I'll go back in time so I could watch that concert, I think. Have you, have you seen Pulp? play live since no, like as an adult though they've disbanded like they had their last tour in 2011 i think i only discovered them like four or five years ago but it's like every one of their songs is so good and i'm just so mad i, for, I, I forget how old i am i was like <laughs> yeah, i've seen pop a couple of times Fuck and then you, i'm like dude. oh yeah right oh. yeah well that's the, that's the advantage of having been around for another 20 years than you have it's true you've, you've caught some other stuff <laughs> Well, anyway, I would do this very basic thing that you've already done. See, that's already no, like... it's cool, man. Like, I think that's a good, a good, very good choice. I was watching some Jarvis Cocker playing at um, 
uh, Glastonbury videos on YouTube the other night because yeah. that's the sort of exciting life that I lead. <laughs> oh. uh, Nina, this has been a pleasure. Thank you very much for doing this at the end of your long weekend. And um, Thank you uh, for tolerating it, it, me, Will. I hope, it was great. I hope Don't be any silly. of it has it made great. sense. I'm no, lots of it has made sense. So I feel like it's been a real snapshot of a moment in time and it's been really great and I have loved it and I'm glad that I could have you on. And um, yes, I'll see you again soon. Thank you for having me. Cheers. Thank you.